0: Good evening, everyone, and happy Easter once again. That's right, it is Wednesday in the second week of Easter, but it is still Easter. We have been through a lot over these days. We have had the beautiful celebration of Holy Week and the Sacred Paschal Triduum, the Holy Three Days, Easter Sunday, the octave of Easter. This past Sunday, we celebrated the octave day of Easter, which has a bunch of other names, and then now we have... Transitioned into just the season of Easter, <clears throat> which will go on for well six more weeks. So we've got a uh, a lot to be thankful for, a lot to celebrate. We're going to unpack a little bit of that uh, this evening. Uh, I mentioned this this last Sunday. It can seem like a, a little bit after everything we went through, getting up to this point and getting to, to Easter and everything that. Uh, what well, we're it's like coming down from the mountain a little bit. Easter is such a high point, and the. Uh, the church actually realizes this because uh, they have given the the name to this past Sunday not only the the octave of, of Easter but also Low Sunday. Like what terrible name for a Sunday? Low Sunday. What's High Sunday? Well, glad you asked. High Sunday is Easter. It's as high as you get. And so yeah, from from Easter Sunday, everything else is lower anyway. So maybe Lower Sunday would be better. But there is a sense in which we uh, we come down now and uh, things are are getting back to normal a little bit. School you know gets back in and I see the the youth uh, out there running around right now going to religious ed and school of religion and our CIA is is gonna meet us still to now we've got our our new Christians so the rite of Christian initiation of adults has run its uh course uh, so to speak for this year and so we no longer have the elect those catechumens who were chosen, elected for baptism. We now have a bunch of people known as neophytes, at least the newly baptized. They, it means the new ones, the newly born, the neophytes. And uh, they are, of course, able to be identified over this past week uh, after Easter with their white baptismal gowns, which they received on the the night of Easter at the Easter Vigil. And so this, this last Sunday, as well as being Low Sunday and the Octave of Easter, and just It's also known as Dominica in Albis, or Sunday in White, because it is the time where all the catechumens, now neophytes, come with their white baptismal garments, and they've been wearing them for a week, and now they take them off. So uh, the full name would be uh, the the Sunday of putting off the white, so to speak. So that's uh, another one. And of course, thanks to John Paul the Great, St. John Paul the Great, we we also have this past Sunday as Divine Mercy Sunday, and that will play into uh, a little bit tonight what we'll talk about. Uh, So John Paul II had a great uh, devotion to Jesus under the title of Divine Mercy, special revelations given to St. Faustina Kowalska in Poland, where, of course, John Paul was from, and so he became very familiar with devotion to Jesus under the title Divine Mercy, And he named the the Sunday after Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday. And famously, he died on the the vigil of that day. And uh, so, we're looking for God's uh, approval. Uh, I guess there that is. So, uh, what it ultimately means is that, boy, we sure pack a lot of stuff into this uh, Sunday right after Easter, don't we? It's the Octave of Easter, it is Low Sunday, Dominica and Albis, and Divine Mercy Sunday. It's also colloquially known as Doubting Thomas Sunday because. Every year on this Sunday, we read the gospel about St. Thomas, who uh, famously you know, doubted that Jesus had really been raised from the dead. And we'll talk about that tonight, and how Jesus reappears, and what all that means for us. So good to have you with me uh, tonight. I see Peggy uh, Sumner is watching. Welcome, Peggy. Good to have you with us on Sean the Baptist Live tonight. And um, we are coming to you live from the, the Sean the Baptist page. And um, Facebook has some issues, so right now I'm also uh, posting across to the, the St. Patrick page so that the people here at St. Patrick can uh, get it directly off that page. But be sure to follow Sean the Baptist on Facebook because in a while that's going to be the only place that I'll end up uh, posting live stuff and then I'll I'll copy it over to YouTube. But um, for now, uh, if you haven't already done so, uh, please go to Sean the Baptist page on Facebook And make sure you give that a follow. Uh, Maybe you had liked it in the past. Uh, Facebook is changing a little bit, so you need to follow it. Uh, So just click on the little link for for Sean the Baptist and go to that page and make sure up at the top uh, that you have followed me. And that way you'll get all the the latest updates and things. And when I, who knows, every now and then I might want to just turn on the mic and go live and say, Hey, here's Father Sean, and uh, Sean the Baptist is live. So uh, a lot of you jumped on right away this evening, and uh, I, can, I can see all the, the, at least the numbers of the people, so that's nice. Uh, before we, we get into a little bit uh, more to the, I, I suppose, the, the rest of the show tonight, I, I might just uh, say a little bit that people have asked, like, where have you been? Father Sean, you, you disappeared for a week. Well, um, fortunately, most people don't care. Uh, because they're like, well, hey, I mean, it's the the week after Easter, you know. Uh, priest, uh, priest need a break, right? Well, certainly that is true. I uh, I often see pictures on the the internet of uh, Easter Monday memes, as it were, and pictures of like dogs just flopped over, distraught, asleep, just passed out, and saying, you know, like every priest on Easter Monday. Um, yeah, true. But then you've got the octave of Easter, and uh, even uh, Divine Mercy Sunday becomes uh, another big thing. And so really, it's uh, it's a little bit this week uh, that, um, you know, kind of feels like, okay, we can breathe again. But uh, a little bit more than that for me this time around. I, uh, last Wednesday, had some surgery. I'd mentioned that uh, before in the podcast, I was going to do that. I didn't make a big deal out of it to, you know, announce like, hey, I'm going away or anything like that, but... um Good to be back now. Susie's on. Good to see you, Susie. Uh but yeah, so I, I, it is well, was, I guess, kind of a, a major uh surgery. So um two years ago, I had bariatric surgery or weight loss surgery. And um since that time I lost about 120 pounds or so and still still going. But um, you know, as a result of that, I I had all this extra skin flopping around. And they they told me, you know, this is going to happen. Like, skin doesn't, like, um, retract exactly. All you women out there who have given birth know how this works. Uh, So they told me, yeah, I'd probably need plastic surgery uh, before too long. Um, And uh, I realized that, yeah, I, you know, I didn't care necessarily about the uh, cosmetic look part of it. But I I feel like I, I want to be healthy and continue to be able to exercise really. And I have even considered like being a military chaplain still something that uh, I always wanted to do, but never really thought that I could because I was just too overweight. Well, now I'm I'm getting down where I can do it. And I I've been trying to, to run and, and exercise more and uh, all that extra skin and stuff flopping around was, was definitely a problem. So I, I decided I would do it. One of those things I found out insurance doesn't cover it. So talk about, you know, adding, Insult to injury, as painful as the uh, uh surgery is, the <laughs> cost of it out of pocket is also a, a little bit uh painful as well. But every time I've invested in my, my health, uh, I've found that things have gone very well, and it does tie into what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about being wounded and our, our brokenness and our woundedness in our bodies. And uh, I can, I can tell you that um, everybody's got stuff uh, like this, um, you know. I, in your family history, you know, you, you go to the doctor and you fill out all those like family history medical things, and you know, does this run in your family and that run in your family, and we probably don't think too much about it. Yeah, probably us a lot of us have that that stuff. Um, for me, I've been blessed that a lot of my like blood chemistry numbers and things like that and blood pressure have, have been good, but you know, the the genes that I inherited means that um, if I don't if I don't do something and take it really seriously, I, I'm going to be like 400 pounds and not really be able to do the things that would be good for me to do to stay healthy. And, uh, that's, and there's no, no shame in that. That's my, my genes. That's my, my whole family, largely on my, my dad's side, but a little bit on my mom's side. Uh, so, you know, I had to kind of get serious about that and say, all i right, right, I'm, I'm 44 now. And, um, you know, two years ago, I, I I like to joke that I gave up 80 percent of my stomach for Lent, uh, because I had a what's called a, a gastric sleeve. So they go in and they they basically remove, uh, like yeah, like 80, maybe even 90. I forget now. Part of the, the stomach, and they leave just a, a little sleeve of a, a stomach. That's why I call it a gastric sleeve. They don't actually like put anything around the stomach like like I would have thought. But, um, yeah, they just leave you a little stomach. And I I know I was thinking, um. Gosh, I'm only at that time. I was what 42, and thinking like, boy, this is the rest of my life. I love food. I and you know, obviously, that's, that's a little bit how you get overweight. But I I don't even necessarily love it in excessive quantities. I just I really love the taste of different foods and all different kinds of cultures and things. And um, so yeah, that was a, a real scary thing to say. I'm gonna I'm gonna have this bariatric surgery, but I did last uh, two months ago. And uh, over the last two years, um, really over about a a, a year, uh, I lost about 120 pounds and uh, it's been a little steady, little, little bit up even since then. And that's what really kind of kicked me into gear to say, um, man, I'm not exercising the way I, I should. I've, I've stopped losing weight just based on the, the surgery and my modified diet alone. Um, you know, maybe it's time to have the, uh, the plastic surgery to, you know, uh, kind of mark the transition and, and get rid of the excess skin. And um, so I decided to do that this this past week. If you're just joining us, John Anthony's on. Good to have John with us. Um, yeah, I decided, all right, let's do it. Um, I've had brain surgery. I've had gastric surgery. So I thought, what the heck? How how bad can it be to just, you know, get some excess skin removed? <laughs> Okay, so it's uh it's a week later and um I am still really, really I'm sore and swollen and I I didn't know if I was even gonna be able to do the Sean the Baptist show tonight. Uh but I, I thought I gotta I gotta get back on and uh at least try to say hi to people and make sure people know I'm still alive. Um but yeah, so uh the John's calling me the Bionic Man, great, and Joyce Gross goes on, good to have Joyce on. Uh, talking a little bit about some surgery I had last, last week to uh, remove excess skin from all the weight I lost. And, and, and let let me say that uh, as far as like reasons to need surgery, the fact that you need surgery because you lost 120 pounds. Okay. I can think of worse things. So, you know, worse would be like, I had, you know, like gained 120 pounds and my skin's going to explode if we don't like, you know, amputate something. I mean, that, that would be worse. So this is a good reason, I guess. If if ever you're gonna need a good reason to uh have surgery, I guess this one is it, because well, I lost 120 pounds and now I need to need to get rid of that that old man, as Saint Paul says. You know, I was thinking about uh the where Jesus talks about the the wineskins that uh you know new wine is put in wines new wineskins. Um but yeah, I guess for this Easter I kinda got a new uh a new wineskin, a a new Sean skin, as it were. Um but here's the thing, I, I, I kind of looked down and saw everything flopping around, and I'm like, oh, well, they're just gonna chop that off, basically, and sew it up, and I think I get how that uh, procedure will go. What I wasn't quite on for is that uh, when you get really big, like I did, I weighed about, I got up to about 336 pounds, I think, and um, it was pretty big, but when you get that big, you also stretch out all your abdominal muscles and, and things, and they start to separate and pull apart, and even when I lose all that weight, they don't work as well. So one of the things they do in this surgery is they uh, they go and they're I don't exactly understand all of it. Um, I'm gonna Google it and find out here at some point. But they uh, are able to adjust my abdominal muscles. They literally like moved them all around and uh, tightened them. And so right now, if I could describe it, I I feel like uh like a uh, a bit of well butter scraped across too much bread that sort of thing. No, I'm I'm tight like. I I feel like oh my goodness, like suck me in, um and uh, a lot of swelling and everything all over. So basically, I've got I've got a, an upside down T, uh on my I, I, from the center of my chest down to my 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 lower belly and then 180 degrees like from hip to hip. So that's that's a lot of incision. That's like three feet of incision, uh. But really, it's it's the abdominal stuff too. Like oh my goodness, if I cough right now, it's a bad day. Um, but I saw my surgeon yesterday for my follow up, and he's like, I'm, I told him, he's like, "No, you're not going to hurt anything." I'm like, yeah, it hurts, but at least I'm not ripping myself apart. Um, so anyway, I am uh, constantly reminded right now every time I sneeze uh, as why cream eggs in moderation, people. You uh, you really saw the message about Father Sean liking his Easter cream eggs, and boy did I. Uh, but yeah, now that I've had to undergo surgery to remove the extra person hanging around my middle. Uh, I'm going to try to file this memory away of how much it is not a fun experience to uh, have a chainsaw go up and down your your stomach to rip you apart and put you back together. Don't ever want to do that again. Don't ever want to be heavier than this. In fact, I'd like to lose about maybe 30 more pounds. So here is hoping that uh, the surgery I had is kind of the impetus that will will lead to even a a little more weight loss and 30 pounds isn't going to make a a huge difference for like needing surgery again or anything like that. Uh, so anyway, that's why I haven't been on for this, this last week. And uh, sorry for maybe not uh, announcing a whole lot. People picked up. I, I had said something about surgery, and so some people got it. What is not surprising after the, this many years of priesthood, though, is most people didn't even care. Most people just don't notice. I have people at the parish. I've been here two years at this parish. And uh, I still have every now and then someone will get to me after Mass and say, oh, you must be our new priest. All right, so sometimes God just keeps you humble and letting you know just how little impact you really do have. I mean, okay, I, I guess impact as far as like people knowing who you are. Obviously, priests have an impact, you have an impact in everything you're doing, even if no one sees it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm a somewhat recognizable person around the parish. Uh, it's the outfit, probably. Um, yeah, there's some people who still don't even know I'm here. So if you missed me this past week, thanks. Pray for me because the recovery goes on. It's gonna take another couple weeks. I gotta wear this binder thing that really does have me like <laughs> and sucked in, um, so that I I guess don't bloat and heal correctly and everything. So, uh, Susan thinks I'm awesome. Thanks for that, Susan. You're awesome too. Um, so that's where that's at. So I'm back, and uh, I I'll tell you though I had uh, my first public mass today. I had the twelve fifteen mass here at Saint Pat's, and um, wow. Uh, knocked me back a little bit, and I don't know. I think maybe today has been a little more of an off day. But I was like, I gotta, I gotta lie down. I'm overheating. It's like not good. Um. So yeah, pray for me as uh healing recovery uh goes on. And Teresa Smith is glad that I'm here. Great. So some people know that I'm I was gone, and and now I'm back. Um. Okay. So speaking of all that, and if you got questions about uh surgery and uh, everything about that. Uh, thanks, Bob Dorst. Uh, thanks for that. So, segue. Uh, I put up the uh, the, the title tonight, uh, Wounded Glory. Wounded Glory. Now, there's something we maybe don't think about a whole lot. Um, to be wounded certainly doesn't seem glorious. And if you get wounded to death, well, that really seems bad. And yet, that is exactly what happened to Jesus. He got not only wounded, uh, he got wounded to, to death. And, of course, us knowing that he's also God, that uh, obviously raised a lot of questions for the apostles, raised questions for us. How can God die?
1: How can God be defeated? How can God be conquered by death? How can the Lord of life die and be conquered? Well, of course, the, uh, the answer to that is that because death
0: is not equated with being conquered. Wounded is not equated with being conquered, and, and suffering itself is not being defeated. Even suffering unto death is not defeat. That would only be the case if death were the ultimate thing. If death were the end of all being, then, you know, okay sure, death wins. All suffering is ultimately a sign of death saying, I'm, I'm bigger than you, I'm better than you, I'm going to get you in the end. But really, what we celebrate at Easter is that we no longer have to be afraid of that. And if uh, you haven't caught it, I invite you to check out my Easter Sunday uh, homily on this, where I, I titled it, Immune to Death. A little bit, we're, we're seeing lots of people getting the uh, the uh, vaccines now. And uh, so we're starting to be able to come out of hiding and uh, do things that we haven't been able to do in a long time, like hug people. And my grandpa celebrated his 90th birthday this last weekend. And we had a party and we got the family together, still maintained our masks and everything because he's in the, the nursing home. But like most all of us who were there have been vaccinated and we could we could hug people because um, we're immune to the to the coronavirus now. And so we're not scared of it. You know, it's still all around, but we're not scared because we know it's not going not gonna to get the best of us. We win. Um, well, it's a little bit like that because of the resurrection and death. Yes, we're going to die. We are going to be exposed to death and not just death around us, which surely we will, but we will go through death ourselves. But much as uh, like a vaccine oftentimes has a, a bit of the dead virus. Uh, You know, you you come in contact with the virus, but it's dead. It can't hurt you. But your body learns how to, you know, uh, protect yourself. I know that's not how the COVID-19 virus works exactly. But in the end, it means that you can come in contact with the virus, even have it in you, I guess, and it just can't hurt you. Because you know the secret. You know how to deal with it. And that's what the resurrection is really supposed to do for us. It gives us confidence that when we come face-to-face with any suffering— even terrible suffering, and especially suffering that leads to death, we need to recognize that it can't hurt us. Like, Father Sean, what could—I I think dying is about—that's that. That's hurt, okay? If, if, if I'm suffering right now because my, my abdominal muscles and my, my waist hurts, like death, death hurts. Well, sure, in a, a physical suffering kind of way, but the, the key for us as Christians is that ultimately— Death cannot hurt us, at least not permanently. Death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. To paraphrase Maher, my favorite Christian
1: artist. Well, what we know then is that woundedness, although certainly
0: painful, difficult to deal with, not wanted, not welcome when it comes. You don't have to say, I have to like pain. <laughs> Definitely not saying that. What we do know is that it is not the end, that we need not be afraid of it. And and for that, um, let's look a little bit at this, this Sunday's last gospel. And this is, of course, as I said, the, the famous story of uh, Doubting Thomas, um, before that Jesus uh, appears and um in the various accounts of the the resurrection we see Jesus appear and all right this is this is Jesus risen from the dead so this is his his glorified body and we know it's not like a normal body because he walks through walls it says you know he appeared in the room although the doors were locked he just came walking through the wall all right so there's there's something about this body that fits with the the body of Jesus who existed before and during his death. They know it's Jesus. It's not some ghost, it's not some, you know, figment of Jesus. They know it's really him. So there's some connection with his earthly body before his death, the same body that died on the cross. But there is obviously something about this body that is new and it has powers that no regular body would have. Talked about this before when I did my uh, Holy Saturday preview about uh, the Shroud of Turin, that the image that's left there, it was like it was burned on, like a like a radiation burn. But it's not. It's not a radiation burn, but it's like that. Uh, some incredible burst of energy is like the best explanation we got. Something like that is what happened at the moment Jesus rose from the dead. And that's just in the worldly, earthly kind of explanation. In the end, we We can't explain exactly what a glorified body is, but we know Jesus can appear at multiple places at once. He can be in Jerusalem and then Galilee and all over the place. Um, There are lots of qualities that Jesus in his glorified body has that uh, just a, a normal human body would not have. But one of the things that is curious is that when Jesus appears, the Gospels tell us that he shows his apostles his wounds. You know, puts his hands out, and there are holes in them, or healed holes. I, I don't know, but nonetheless, whatever it is, the the gospel writers tell us that he showed them his wounds.
1: You ever stop and think about that? I mean that that in itself is a, a really interesting thing.
0: Okay, Jesus has conquered death he's got a a glorified body so he's not um he's not bleeding uh he's he's not it's not like he doesn't look like he did when they put them in the tomb uh it doesn't say that there's blood everywhere that you know anything like that but yet there's still the as thomas will describe it the marks marks of the nails the wound in his side whatever this would have looked like it's a, it's a healed, glorified wound, wounded glory, the, the topic for tonight. Jesus appears in his glory, but in his woundedness as well. And not unrelated, notice what he says. He says, peace be with you, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid afraid now i i think all this is very much tied to the the showing of the the wounds um because think about the last time that the apostles saw jesus all right if, if you're peter well that was in the the courtyard of the high priest where his famous last words was i swear i don't know the man all right that's not a very good last meeting um you know, the other apostles, it was the Garden of Gethsemane. The cohort of Jewish soldiers come, and what did they do? They all ran away scared. All right, at least if you're John, you were at the foot of the cross on Good Friday. But for, for the most part, every single apostle, including John, would know that they did not live up to what they were supposed to. Jesus had warned them on Holy Thursday night, watch, pray. Pray that you will have the strength to endure the test that's coming. Namely, having your faith tested on Good Friday as you see me die on the cross. Jesus warned them and said, don't be caught off guard. Be ready. And they weren't. And so they did not do very well during the
1: test. And so now here Jesus is back alive. Hmm. What would their thoughts be? Well, Jesus is alive, so they're happy, but I would be a little
0: scared. I mean, okay, Jesus is alive, but I mean, what does he think of me? I mean, he's back, but is I would think that at least part of their thoughts would be he's back and he's mad. He's back and it's it's at least going to be, and I told you so. You know, they know that they've seen him forgive and talk about forgiveness, so maybe he'll forgive them. But... We gloss over way too quickly, I think, the idea that, oh, Jesus is alive and the apostle Stephen, they just all rejoice. I think there would have necessarily been some fear and not just, okay, let's let's put aside all that and just say the natural fear of a dead man just walked through our wall. I mean, that that makes anybody afraid, even if it is the greatest person who you love more than anything.
1: But even that, even that aside, then Here's Jesus, he's back. And the question has to be, What's he gonna do? What is he gonna do? Is he gonna get angry at us?
0: We're gonna get a lecture. He's gonna say, I told you so. Is he gonna kick us out? Say, This is why I told you to pray. You know, I forgive you all, but you can't be my apostles now. Yeah, y'all blew it. Um there are lots of things that I think could have been going through their mind. But Jesus very quickly says, No peace be with you, it is I, do not be afraid. And he shows them his wounds. Now, this too, I think, would be a cause for fear, to say, Oh my gosh, look what they look what they did to you. Look what look what I did to you. I didn't fight for you. I, I wasn't ready. I didn't stand up for you. I didn't pray enough. I you know, all the apostles would have in some way seen these wounds as a sign of defeat and failure, their own failure. But yet here is Jesus alive. Eddie's on. He says, the Revenge is not Jesus' style. Thanks, Eddie. Good good to have you on. Uh, and I see Susan and Eddie. Um, he asked, Do you think then, even after uh, death that we will still bear the scars from what killed us? That's, that's maybe where a little bit that I'm going right now. Uh, Jesus could have chosen to appear without the, the scars. I mean, he obviously removed some of the signs of the Passion. I mean, he's not still wearing the crown of thorns and Uh, presumably, like I said, there's not blood going everywhere. And he's obviously, you know, able to walk and be normal. So the fact that the marks in his hands and feet are still there is Jesus's choice. And it it has to be for some reason and not not vengeance, not a guilt trip on us. Rather, I think just the opposite. Here's my thing. I, I think Jesus is showing us that it is okay to be wounded that being wounded is not the end. And the reason they don't have to be afraid when they see the wounds of Jesus
1: is they can see the wounds and they automatically ought to know it didn't work. Yeah, he's, he got crucified, put to death, and
0: eliminated from the face of the earth and overpowered completely, right? Wrong. It didn't work. It did not do what the Romans or the Jewish leaders thought it would do Rather, Christ is victorious. Life is victorious. Death has been defeated. How how do you defeat death? Well, I I mean, if it were me, I would say the best way to show that death has been defeated is that nobody dies anymore. I mean, that's the way I would set it up, right? Nobody dies anymore. That would be conquering death. And so corollary, if nobody dies anymore— well, no one suffers anymore. That's how I do it. Just eliminate death, pain, and suffering. That's defeat of
1: death. It's not what Jesus does. Rather, he, he takes it even a step further. Because if you think about it, if Jesus hadn't gone through death, it, it wouldn't be so much that death
0: had been defeated as it had just been you know, like eliminated, isolated, made not part of the game anymore. Jesus didn't just, you know, bind death and throw it away in a corner somewhere. Like he actually went through it, fought the whole fight, took the entire strength and brunt force of the greatest woundedness, suffering you can ever go through, went right through it and came back victorious. That is utter defeat. Death, I'm not gonna just get rid of you. I'm actually going to go through you. I'm going to let you do your worst to me,
1: death. Romans, you do your worst. Jewish leaders, you do your worst to me. And I'm back to let you know. I can really shake him down. No, uh, he's back to let you know that you need not be afraid of that. Death is not the end. And therefore, corollary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of suffering. Do not be afraid of woundedness. Jesus
0: isn't afraid, even in his glory, to say, look, look, see these wounds? This is when they thought they had me. This is when I thought
1: it would look like all was lost, and it wasn't. Brothers and sisters, I... I think one of the greatest things
0: that we as Christians struggle with uh, is not belief that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not even belief that one day we will rise from the dead. Uh, I think most of us believe in the resurrection of the body. We, we believe in, in heaven. In fact, we almost believe too easily in heaven that, yeah, just everybody goes there and it doesn't really matter what you do. I don't think that's our problem. I think we believe in the resurrection and we believe in heaven. I think our greatest struggle as Christians is with suffering and what to do with it in this life and death itself. We, we all want to go to heaven. We don't want to die to get there, as the saying says.
1: So what to do with suffering and woundedness and brokenness? You know, I, I have to say
0: that I, I grew up uh what i realize now uh somewhat sheltered a little bit from a lot of the real serious pain and suffering that afflicts almost every family um and and more so even today when i was growing up I, most people didn't get divorced i think you know maybe like two of the kids in my school or something came from divorced families it was rare uh, there was no Child abuse and my, my family. Uh, yeah, we, we went to church every Sunday, tried to love each other. Just thought that was normal. I, I'm seeing now in my time as a priest that even when I was growing up, that was not normal. A lot of people, a lot of you listening tonight have great hurts, wounds from your childhood, from your past, from things that have happened to you, to those around you. When you're a priest, you can't be isolated from the real experience of of everybody in the world. I mean, I suppose you can be, and those are those are bad priests. I mean, we all know those people who kind of try to isolate themselves uh, from people, and the priest that you know just isn't willing to get involved uh, in the real suffering of life. You know, just does his priestly thing, and it's just that that's not that's not what Jesus did. And uh, I've you know found it almost impossible to remain uh isolated from the real suffering out there in the world. And and you know sometimes we we come up with like Christian kind of platitudes, don't we? to, to minimize it. Like, well, God works good out of everything. Yeah, don't worry. Well, you know, or this one, God won't give you more than you could handle. So you just hold on there and you buck it up, pilgrim, because you can handle it. You know, like, oh, well, I wish God didn't trust me so much. You know, all right, you know, we could kind of joke about those, those things, but man, there's a lot of suffering out there and it's hard. I mean, I I'd see what's happened to me over just this last week, and I, you know, I, I went to the doctor yesterday the doctor's like, Wow, you're doing great. Look at your healing. This is incredible. We should make you like give a lecture to people about how to do this. I'm like, Yeah, but I feel like crap. You know? Um and actually I, I am doing all right, so don't worry too much about me, but Man, I'm hurting, and I see what it does to just our mental abilities, to, to think straight, to, to feel good about ourselves. And think of all the real trauma that there is out there. I, I've heard some of the most harrowing tales of, of child abuse, people growing up. I, I had, I, I had one time I was... In contact with with uh, someone through a, a marriage case, actually, maybe not even in this diocese in a while ago, but um, part of the the testimony was, you know, we're, we're talking about family upbringing. And like, well, you know, d- did anything unusual happen in your childhood? You know, like, well, um, my mom used to take me to her uh, satanic worship meetings, and they would cut me and bleed me out and, you know, offer me on the altar with my my blood to Satan— uh, so there was that, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I think I'm, you know, I was traumatized because my parents spanked me. Like, uh, no, this woman was offered to Satan by her mother, uh, on a, an altar to the devil. I'm like, holy cow, there's real trauma out there, folks. And a lot of you, you've, you've lived it too. And I've, I've got my own trauma. We've all got our own wounds. We've all got our own stuff, um, I think these appearance stories of Jesus are great causes for comfort, really, for all of us to say, don't be afraid of woundedness. Don't be afraid of wounds. Even in that, that beautiful image of divine mercy, we know Jesus is, is pointing to his, his wounded side, his heart, where the blood and water flowed out. Now it's a beam of white and red light that, that brings, you know, not Jesus bleeding to death, but mercy, bringing life to those who are dead in sin. Uh, don't be afraid of the wounds. And, you know, Thomas, in the gospel this past weekend, is, is the beautiful kind of example
1: of, of that, too, that Jesus is like, all right, bring your, your finger. Put it, put it in the nail marks of my hands. Put your hand into my side. How does that even work?
0: I mean, I'm talking, I've got stitches up and down all over the place. And if I were like open, it'd be an infectious disaster. I'd be feeling horrible. And yet somehow Jesus doesn't just have wounds, but they're open wounds. A glorified body with open wounds. I mean, That seems like it can't even, I can't even fathom that. And yet somehow it can't hurt Jesus anymore. Yeah, he's like Thomas... You know, you need proof that I'm, I'm me, I'm alive, good, put your hand in here. But in doing so, also see that it doesn't hurt Jesus.
1: It doesn't hurt Jesus anymore. And so there's, uh, there is a, I suppose, uh, we can become comfortable
0: enough in our woundedness that, that we could be that open about it to say, I've got this terrible wound. I've had this terrible trauma that's happened to me or this terrible hurt that I just keep carrying around and it won't leave me. Can we imagine ourselves getting to the point where we would be able to say, here, just touch it, touch it. You know, it, it, when I'm wounded, like my, my whole stomach right now, I'm like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I don't want to roll over in my bed. I can barely get up out of my chair. It, it hurts to move. The last thing I'm gonna do is touch it. Jesus is like, here, Here's the most painful thing to ever happen to me. Go ahead, touch it. Just yeah, just go ahead, touch it. My my side that got pierced with a lance so that I bled out from my my heart water and blood. You just go ahead and put your hand,
1: just shove it right in. Holy cow. I mean, that is just I don't know. It it's it, it's like
0: coming up against a, like a rubber gun or something. Like, no, here, touch it. See, it's not real except that the wounds are real. They're just, they can't hurt us anymore. And and that's the ultimate, I think, kind of sign of of, of healing a little bit. It's not that the wounds are gonna go away. And, And hear me on that, brothers and sisters. Jesus still has his wounds. Glory and victory does not come by eliminating the wounds. Not even after his resurrection from the dead are Jesus's wounds
1: eliminated? Death is not eliminated after Jesus's death. Rather, all of it is inoculated.
0: We are immune to it. We've still got the wounds, but hey, touch touch me. Hey, it doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> that's, that's what we can hope for in this life, that we can live our lives here and now in such a way that says, all right, I'm going to get wounded. I'm going I'm to get hurt. I am ultimately going to die. And all that's going to be painful.
1: But none of it is something that I need to lose my peace about or something that I should be afraid of. That's the message of Jesus come back from the dead. Uh, yes, yeah, Susan, uh, suffering makes us grow. Wow, I actually prayed for suffering and was blessed with it. Um.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a tough one, and there are saints who prayed for more suffering. Now, Saint Rose of Lima is is one of those saints, and quite frankly, she drives me crazy because I no, not every saint is the same. So I don't have to be a saint like Saint Rose of Lima, but we read her story in the the liturgy of the hours each year, and she's like, if people understood the value of suffering, we would beg God to send us more suffering. I'm like, no. No, I wouldn't. I mean, okay, or else that's that's just proof that I'm really not that holy. Uh, because I'm I'm not even close to that. <laughs> but here here's the truth behind that though. No one should should pray that I want to feel hurt. Okay, that's that's a psychological illness, okay? Rather, what St. What Rose of Lima is seeing, and and probably what Susan was referring to, is that we see the good that can come of suffering. Like it it takes maybe selfishness. Away, it gives us gratitude. Boy, you take your health for granted until something goes wrong. That's for sure. Um, All of a sudden, now you're grateful. Wow, I've been blessed with great health and I know it because now I don't have it and it's no fun. Um, So we can grow in gratitude. We can grow in discipline. We can ultimately realize perhaps more from suffering that this life is not all there is. That if there were no death and suffering, then I would be in this life forever and that's actually not good. I actually desire heaven. So suffering reminds us of that. So there's all kinds of good things that really come from suffering. And, and, and here's where the little bit, well, you know, God brings good out of everything. This, this is actually true, that the only reason that there is suffering, that God allows suffering, is because good comes out of it. Now, we know that we're not, we're not allowed morally to say, well, let's do evil so that good may come of it, no. And so God doesn't work that way either. It's not like, you know, I think I'll send some suffering because I really love this person. Um, You know, maybe in extreme cases, God allows stuff like that. Like you think of like Job or something like that. Um, But no, God allows suffering. And it's only because it can't hurt us anymore. It's not the end. In fact, it's kind of like that... um, Asian martial art jujitsu, you know, there's, there's, you know, karate and taekwondo and different things like that. Um, but jujitsu is, now I'm not an expert here, but from what I understand is more about using the aggression and strength of your opponent against them, like redirecting it kind of. And so that is more what Jesus has given us the ability to do to say, okay, death, give me your best shot. You think you're going you to eliminate the Lord of life from the world and end his mission through crucifixion? All right, go ahead, try that. And in the end, what happened? Jesus just obliterated death by going through it. Totally annihilated death. Didn't see that coming. Death thought he'd won. Jesus totally jujitsued would that, flipped it around, used it against Satan. And he does that with us. I mean, the fact that there is suffering is evil. Okay, we would call suffering physical evil. We have to think of evil as like somebody does something wrong or something really, really bad. That's evil. No, evil is also in the physical realm. So because we're created in God's image and likeness, theoretically in the, the Garden of Eden and the original creation, Adam and Eve shouldn't have been suffering. Because of sin, because of the fall, there is suffering. All suffering points us to the fact that things are not as they should be. So when you hear me talking about don't be afraid of suffering, you know, have peace, I'm not saying you gotta like it, okay? It's not supposed to be that way. Death is always going to be, it shouldn't be that way. And if we ever get to the point where we think, oh, I'm just okay with death, then we're we're missing it because then there's no great victory over it. In order to have a a victory over something bad, you have to have a real enemy, And, and death is a real enemy. It's not supposed to be here in God's creation. Suffering is not supposed to be here. But after the fall, it is the way God allows it to work, such that it brings about our greater healing and glory. Our
1: suffering is allowed by God because it can, in fact, bring us to the glory of heaven. Wounded glory. Think about all the, the times in, in my
0: life that it was suffering that kinda kicked my butt a little bit to kind of get going. And even this uh you know, I was joking about the whole cream egg thing, but yeah, I, I don't know how long it will last, but right now I'm thinking about, you know, if I uh if I eat that cream egg, if I go out and binge on those nachos or whatever. Let's not forget the pain of having your entire stomach chopped off. Okay. Um, there, there is a bit of that. More than anything, though, suffering is just a chance to say, you know what? This is not my home. This is not my home. I am not meant to live here forever. I was talking with a friend this morning, and um, we're, we both went to college together, and, uh, you know, we're saying how that... Uh, she got in her car afterwards and the, the John Mellencamp song, Jack and Diane, came on. Whoa! Life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. We're both kind of just like midlife, you know, lamenting the boredom of it a little bit. Maybe not even active suffering. I mean, there is suffering. Both of us were talking about health issues and things and like, yeah, mid-40s mid in and, and life and all of a sudden body starts to go awry. But... Then there's also just a piece that, okay, life doesn't have to be super intense happiness all the time. I'm okay with suffering. There's going to be a little bit of suffering, and eventually that suffering is going to lead to my death, and I'm okay with that. Not completely okay, because there's that natural I'm created for God, uh, self-preservation thing that's put there by God. But there is a
1: sense in which we both said, you know, if this were the end of it, soon, That'd be all right. And, and that's where I, I think
0: there is a good, healthy balance there to be able to say if we are so attached to this world that we think we got to get happiness here, or that somehow we could find happiness and make it last forever in this world, well, then suffering might be really, really good for us because you can't get away from it.
1: We can try, we do all kinds of unhealthy things to try to get away from suffering, and it just makes it worse. But in the end you got to confront the fact suffering means I am
0: not in my home. I desire permanent lasting happiness with no suffering and this place ain't it. That's good. That's good news. Because we don't have to live here forever. Notice that Jesus is not still walking around this earth. I mean I always think that the apostles wouldn't they've been sad, you know, on Ascension Thursday. Um yeah, Jesus is gone, but he's gone to where he's supposed to be. And we we pray on that, that liturgy. Uh where the head has gone, you know, we his members hope to follow. We're meant to be in heaven with, with Jesus and Mary and the saints, and you know, suffering reminds us of that. This past weekend I uh I was at my, my parents' house in Lansing convalescing. I was couldn't even sleep in my bed. You just sleep in the recliner, so i you know, could not accidentally hurt myself worse. And, um, you know, one of our, our friends has been our, our neighbors across the street for, well, the whole time I've, I've been alive. I think they, they moved in like right before my parents moved in. So they've been 45 years in their house and my parents are 45 years in their house. And um, anyway, the the husband is uh, near death at the, the time this last weekend. And uh, the daughter called over trying to get, you know, a number for the the parish priest. And uh, you know, there I am, sitting flopped over in bandages and stuff, but I'm like, "No, I, I need this. I can come over. I want to go do this." And, and so I did. I went over and was able to bring my mom and dad and and pray for my my neighbor Ron, uh, who was near his, his end, and his wife, Diane, who was there, and their their children. And um in the midst of that that suffering. You can see as you go as a priest, sometimes you know it's, it's true, and sometimes you can see it, that the relief at the end of life, especially to know that the, the priest is there and is ready to prepare you and usher you in to heaven, your, your lasting home. Some of the, the prayers that the priest is able to pray at the bedside of a dying person are the real tear jerkers. I mean, I I don't think I've ever prayed them without the family just busting out crying. So you're like, well, Father, knock that stuff off. You know, don't be doing that. No, because um, they're beautiful. Go forth, faithful Christian. Leave this life. <laughs> Go return to the God who created you, the God who claimed you in your baptism. Go forth, faithful Christian. Let your home be this day in paradise. Uh, that's. That's both hard to hear if, if you're alive and you're the loved ones, but man, I can't wait to hear those words, to know that the, the battle is done, the strife is o'er, as we sing in the Easter hymn, and to be told, go forth, faithful Christian, to know that it's done. Because until that moment, suffering, lots of it in, in this life. Um, and and not not I don't mean just physical suffering. One of my favorite bedtime or bedtime deathbed sort of stories is that of St. Louis Marie Grignon de Montfort, uh famous for uh the true devotion to Mary that St. John Paul II also loved. Um his his last words as uh he lay dying, and this is a saint who lived a holy life doing all kinds of things for Jesus, his last words on his deathbed, he, he was literally yelling at Satan, in vain do you attack me
1: now. I am between Jesus and Mary. I will never sin again. And he died. How much do we think about the suffering of
0: sin? I don't mean the suffering we cause others by our sin, but just the suffering
1: that we know we, we hurt God and we hurt the people we love. And that sin shouldn't be there. And to know that
0: despite the fact that I love God, I want to do everything I can to be in his friendship, I still hurt him. I still wound God. God being not able to suffer in his divinity, we know. But still, real
1: woundedness in God. I will never sin again. Those are some of the
0: Happiest words I can think of at death, to be told, go forth, live in paradise, and, and to know that really the battle is done. Battle with physical suffering, battle, battle, battle with physical evil done, but just the, the battle of having to battle Satan every day to try to live in friendship with Jesus with an enemy that doesn't want you to. I mean, that's frustrating. And I, I used to think I was on for this when I became a priest. Like, oh, if you become a priest, Satan is just going to kick your butt. Okay, yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, I'm even up for the challenge. Bring it on. Yeah, a little more than I thought, even. Um, Satan definitely gets his blows in. But that's back then. To sum it all up tonight, brothers and sisters, woundedness is not defeat. Wounds are present in the glorified body of Jesus. He is completely 100%
1: victorious, and yet he has his wounds on his body. You and I are wounded. We have our wounds. Some of them are not our fault. Trauma of early childhood
0: abuse or emotional struggles or neglect or, or just things that happened in the family, all kinds of stuff that we're carrying around, not your fault. And, and yet it affects us. And some of the stuff we could say, well, this, this is my fault. I, I got myself into this trouble. I made a bad choice or bad choices. And so I went down. And so I'm suffering because of what I, I did. Okay, still not your fault. I mean, yeah, own up to what's yours. Take responsibility. But then realize even that, the fallenness, the brokenness of this world, the fact that we choose the wrong thing instead of the right thing. Like St. Paul said, why, why do I choose the thing I don't want to do? and I don't do the thing I want to do. And this is
1: St. Paul. We we all face this. Even that. Not your fault. You're wounded. You are human. And Jesus, after his humanity had been completely annihilated
0: in the worst possible way, chose to appear to us glorified,
1: walking through a wall and yet showing us his wounds. If Jesus can show us that a perfect glorified body is in no way less perfect or defiled
0: by wounds of crucifixion That in no way are your wounds or my wounds in any way defiling of us. Rather, woundedness
1: is a part of being human. And so Jesus tells us, do not be afraid, peace it is I.
0: That's my message this week for Sean the Baptist Live on this second week of Easter. And as we go through these days together, let's uh, this week maybe be mindful of our our woundedness and bring it to Jesus. Jesus isn't just wounded. It says he showed his wounds. Why don't you show your wounds to Jesus this week? Take off the nice little, I'm going to go say my prayers, and I'm going to pray my Our Father and my Hail Mary and my Glory be. Good. Fine. Do all that. And then say, and Jesus, this is why I don't like you very much. This is where I would do it differently. This is where I think you've messed it up. This is where I don't understand, Jesus. This is why, Jesus, why all the suffering? Why do you allow this? Now, my my neighbor Ron died yesterday. I got the word today. And uh, pray for his soul that he is now at peace in that place where we're all supposed to be,
1: eventually. If we're going to get there, be real with Jesus now. Show him your wounds. One day we will rest in peace.
0: But right now, we got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of junk. We got a lot of wounds. And a lot of it's not your fault. There's no shame in this. Especially suffering that you don't want, can't change, can't do anything about.
1: Tell Jesus about it. Show him your wounds. Tell him you hate it. Tell him you don't want it. But Then, those beautiful words of the divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. I pray you can do that this week, brothers and sisters.
0: And next week, uh, we have a school confession at uh, 6.30. So I will be doing the live portion of the show from 5.30 to 6.30. And then, uh, of course, it'll be there by the time you jump on at 6.30. But um, if you want the live part next week, 5.30 p.m. Central Daylight. And, uh, of course, this will be available on the Sean the Baptist page. As I mentioned at the beginning, please go to the Sean the Baptist Facebook page and follow me. Figure out how to do that. And uh, we'll be all together again uh, next week. And, uh, wow, my my computer is just blinked on me as, as if we're losing our internet. So it is 7.30 here in the Central Time Zone, and it is time to end this week's episode of Sean the Baptist Live, where we've been talking about wounded glory. Not afraid to be wounded. Show God your wounds. And one day, you will be safely at home in heaven. Rest in peace, Ron. Rest in peace to all those who have died and are now home. May we all be there one day. God bless you.